0: Welcome to The Recap, part of Pastoring Out Loud, where we recap the previous week's sermon, which was three days ago on August 13th. Bruce, thanks for preaching on Sunday. It's a pleasure. On uh, 2 Corinthians 3, what was it about?
1: Well, I think I would sum it up with the phrase, you become what you behold. You become what you behold. And uh, Paul, particularly in verses 17 and 18, points to the work of the Spirit in removing the veil from our hearts so that we can see more clearly, not perfectly, but more clearly the glory of God. And as we behold that, we're transformed into that same image. So that's how I'd summarize the message or maybe a more simple summary would be just the title what are you looking at
0: yeah
1: you're <laughs> <laughs> looking at the right thing it's a great title <laughs> it
0: is so helpful what are you <laughs> looking at <laughs> <laughs> nice and then uh, and then uh, if you had some more time if you had 80 minutes <laughs> or uh, i should say if you had 70 minutes instead of 35 if you have double the amount of time to spend if we had a Sunday service that went until 1230, one o'clock, what would you have expounded upon? I'd have been exhausted by the end. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. But um,
1: yeah, there's always stuff that you want to say that uh, you don't get to say because of the time constraints. Um, I developed one, a couple of thoughts that I had in connecting our beholding and sanctification process in this life with the final coming of Jesus, and I'll talk about that in the Friday email that'll go out this Friday. Um, so you can read about that and make a link between um, our beholding and becoming like Jesus in this life with our ultimate glorification when he returns. And and I think John makes that connection in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, where... Um, he mentions that when we see him, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Well, the time that we're going to see him that way is at his coming. So I make that connection and I'll draw that out a little bit in this Friday's email.
0: Awesome. Awesome. We talked a bit, a little bit ago about, uh, about, uh, putting a veil over your face, uh, in historical context. Um, right here in verse 12 and in 13, yep it says that we have such a hope. We are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Um, so is there a correlation there between, uh, between Moses and between us, uh, this uh, with the veil?
1: I think Paul is using that story, which comes out of Exodus 34, where Moses would go into the tabernacle, meet with God, he would come out, and after being in the presence of God, his face would be shining with like this light. And he would put a veil over it because that light faded away. And he didn't want the Israelites to see that fading glory. And Paul here probably drawing a couple of metaphorical analogies here. Um, One with the end of the law. So the previous passage, if you read the whole context of chapter three, Mm -hmm. he talks about um, that glory of the law was a fading glory, a temporary glory versus the gospel, which is eternal. So um, Paul is saying we have a greater glory to behold now. Um, but mainly I think what he's saying here is that there's a veil over our hearts. It's over the hearts of the Jews, and as I mentioned, when we get down into chapter 4, we see that there's a blinding going on for all of us. So in a sense, there's a veil covering our hearts, keeping us from seeing the glory of God, and that veil needs to get removed for sanctification to happen, for us to become more like him, more more holy in our actual living to become more like what we already are in Christ.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh that kind of points to <clears throat> kind of points to your conclusion um, where there uh, you mentioned three different ways um, where we as believers uh, things that we can look to um, to um, see that glory. One was uh, in the world in creation. Yep. One was in uh, each other, in the image of God, in the people around us and other believers.
1: Yeah, I actually lumped that in with creation since we are oh, created yep. beings. So yep. the, the three were yeah, prayer, were three? creation, mm. and word. And there's probably more you can think of, but that's yeah. all I had time mm-hmm. for. And I really, maybe another area would have developed if I had 80 minutes instead of yeah. 35 would be... Um, Prayer, I didn't get time to develop that. I mainly just said, Mm -hmm. use prayer to ask God to reveal his glory to you, so to open your eyes so you see his glory all around you. Um, I'm working from the presumption that God's glory, God is revealing his glory to us all the time, everywhere, in his word, in creation, in other people, all around us. So we just got to open our eyes and, and see it. And yet often that glory is revealed in mundane things, hmm. like blades of grass that we cut with lawnmowers mm-hmm. and trees that we see every day, and toast that we eat for breakfast. And and we just don't even think about glory in these things. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just trying to I try to do this in my own life as just I gotta gotta see God's glory in these things. These are not just This is not just mundane, boring life. Mm -hmm. God is revealing himself
0: in these things. So. Mm Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, um, rain. I always hated when it rained. It was always so gloomy and just, oh, it's raining outside. And then uh, after Sarah and I got married, she loves rain. She, She thinks it's the best thing ever. And, my perspective on rain uh, started to change like, oh, okay. Like there's, there's something to enjoy here. It's something that's yep. very needed and nourishing and, and it, I guess it isn't all bad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's the pessimist
0: in you coming out. Yeah, yeah, out. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Got a
1: glass half empty. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. I appreciated too at the beginning of your sermon, how you, Just in general, talked about sanctification and how it really flows out of who we already are in Christ, but to become who we actually are. We're in the process of becoming who we are. And just how you laid that out that if we are not already in Christ, this is just going to be, you know, attempts on our own, you know, in our own strength to have behavioral change or something.
1: Yeah. And I think even as believers, even if we are in Christ, mm-hmm. we lose sight yeah. of what Christ's work on the cross actually accomplished, mm-hmm. the fullness of what that means and what it means that he's bought us. He's he's made us his own. He's sanctified us in the sense that he's set us apart as belonging to him and clothed us with his righteousness. So we are now as holy in his sight, we're as holy as wherever going to be in mm-hmm. eternity. He sees us that way. And now the Christ the walk of the Christian life is really growing more and more into that image mm-hmm. that he's already made us. And and I think I one of the things that's been that I have to keep reminding myself of is when we reverse those and we put the we put the cart before the horse and we start thinking about I have to perform to yeah. achieve I have to make myself more sanctified. I have to, I have to, it it is a race. It is, it is a fight. It is, there is work we do in the sanctification process. Um, But you have to work from the ground that you already are fully sanctified in Christ. Otherwise, you get on this treadmill of performance Mm -hmm. and you will never find yourself good enough. Yeah. Or if you do... It's because you're proud and arrogant. <laughs> so you either become a Pharisee or you become discouraged and defeated. Yeah. Seem to be the two roads mm-hmm. people go down when they're trying to perform. Yep.
0: Yeah. Two ditches.
1: Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was helpful. Good. But
1: that's a, you know, I spent a while on that because this concept of definitive sanctification often gets lost. Even in systematic theology textbooks, it doesn't get treated very deeply, um, kind of gets brushed by, and then they go go on to talk about the process of sanctification. Mm. Um, so I I just wanted to really ground everything in that.
0: Yeah. All right, I've got uh, two questions from Daniel. Oh boy, he has texted oh, that's in trouble. <laughs> 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 so he says. uh, the NIV translates the word beholding as reflecting. Hmm. Um, it's the only use of the word in the New Testament Greek. Might it be possible that we are not truly changed until we overflow with reflecting the glory of the Lord?
1: Hmm. Yeah, and if Daniel were here, I'd ask him for a clarification on that question because I don't know how we can overflow in reflecting the glory of the Lord until we're changed. So yeah. it's, so yeah. I'm not sure I understand the question but I do admit I do uh, acknowledge that the word <clears throat> the word can be translated either behold or reflect in either case it's an imperfect beholding and imperfect reflecting and I would say most mo, well let me answer his question first most english translations use the word beholding and I think there's a reason they do that it makes the verse make more sense because you can't be, you can't reflect something you're being transformed into until you already transformed into it. So I would say the reflecting part is on the other end of sanctification. (laughs) So each step of glory to Mm -hmm. glory that we're being transformed into, we're reflecting better and better the glory of the Lord. Mm -hmm. I, I could understand that translation. But in keeping with Paul's argument, I think it makes more sense in the context. And I think that's why most English translations use beholding. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that the the principle of we become what we behold is found
0: elsewhere in Scripture. Mm-hmm. For example, First John 3. Mm-hmm. Is there a uh, Bruce Power translation of the Bible coming soon? Yeah. <laughs>
1: I'm no Greek scholar, don't even know Greek grammar, so I'm not going to attempt that, no.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, number two from Daniel, you mentioned the world, the flesh, and the devil. Can you define each of those terms?
1: Wow, well, we could spend quite a while on those three things. <laughs> that
0: should be another podcast. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> How long do we have? Um, long the world... Want. Used in this context, so when the Bible speaks to the world, you know, there's multiple uses of the word cosmos in in the New Testament, and its meaning depends on context. But usually when Paul talks about the world in this this way, um, he's talking about the fallen sinful world system that seems bent on rebellion against God and it's infected all of creation. Um, So, yeah, I would say a a systemic, sinful, anti-God spirit of rebellion that's in the world, it's in all people, all societies, and really impacts all of creation. Uh, The flesh would be the manifest, maybe I'll put it this way, the manifestation of that sinful principle within us in our actually dwelling in us Paul Mm -hmm. talks in Romans 7 about in my flesh in me that is in my flesh there dwells no good thing Mm -hmm. Um, which is a remarkable statement coming on the heels of Romans chapter 6 (laughs) so um, I think that's what it's talking about the principle of sin that tries to bend us even after we become believers there's this principle constantly tugging us toward rebellion against God in some way, shape, or form. We just want to do our own thing. Um, yeah. And then the devil is obvious. I think that's referring to Satan, who plays upon the world and the flesh to tempt and pull us away from God. So, yeah. Um, Bible, pres- New Testament presents those three enemies of our souls frequently lump together
0: yeah well cool anything else stacy i don't think so it was good sermon helpful Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah thanks again bruce thanks lord